I'm not talking about a, some kind of a power that I can just pull out my, my, my lucky rabbit's foot and wave it around and say, poof, it's changed. That's not what faith is. That's not faith. That's not what the Bible is. Faith is saying that I'm confident and I'm going to get through whatever God has for me in my life. Everybody say amen. No, no matter how many weeks we're apart from Easter, guess what? He is still risen. We still, we still celebrate a risen Savior. Amen. And uh, we certainly do that every Sunday. Well, th- this morning we're going to start a series on worship, and we're going to last. It's going to last for five weeks. And so this morning I want to ask you. I want to ask you this: Is um, worship? Do you do it when you come here? Worship. Do you do it when you come here? I mean. Is that what you have in mind? Now, I know a lot of you are thinking, well, what does worship mean? And, and yeah, I worship, but, but I, I, I want to challenge you this morning. And I mean, is it what you have in your mind when you're here at church? When you're getting ready in the mornings and when you get up in the morning on Sunday morning and, and, and you're driving on your way to church, do you have in your mind that I'm going to worship the Almighty God today? Is, is, is that what you hear? Is that what you're doing? Is that why you come here? Is that what drives you during the week when you're going through your week? And, and you, you know, I don't know, I look forward to Sundays when we come together as a church and we corporately worship God. You know, I'm looking forward to that worship. So I, I just ask you this morning, do you do it when you come do you prepare for it when you come? Are you looking forward to that worship when you're getting dressed and getting in your car and proceeding on your, on your way to this place on Sundays? Is it that your heart is eager to worship God? Have you ever asked yourself that question? Well, you're going to have to ask yourself that question in this series. Each and every week, you're going to be asking yourself that question, or I hope you are, and I'm going to tell you right away in, in the, very, the very beginning what my purpose is. And I want to really back you into a corner and force you to make a decision about whether you're worshiping God or not. You know, that's really what a preacher is. Did you know that, Gary? Did you know that? And, and uh, you, know, I'm a, you, know, uh, you know, I'm your pastor and I love you very much. And so my job is to shepherd you and to love you and, and all these different things. And but of course, there and, and to teach. But as but as your preacher, um, you know, I'm supposed to back you in a corner. Did you know that? You know, Gary, uh, he came out to the house yesterday, and and he always calls me preacher. And I guess I I don't I, I didn't always maybe in my in you know in in being a pastor and whatever I didn't I didn't like people calling me preacher. I don't know whatever, Gary. It's okay. Don't worry about it. You can call me preacher. You can call me almost anything you want. Okay. But, um, but, but, you know, um, it's really a great thing to be a preacher. And I want you to know, as your preacher, my job, my responsibility is to back you in a corner and to really let you have it. To back you in a corner, and listen to this, as a preacher, my responsibility is to persuade you, right? I mean, as a preacher, we know what a preacher means. A preacher is one who foretells God's word. But not only am I to foretell God's word, but I have the responsibility of persuading you, uh, backing you in the corner. And so I'm backing you all in the corner today and the next four Sundays. And I, I want, are you worshiping God? 
Are you truly worshiping God when you're getting in your car, when you're getting ready, when you look forward to Sundays? What are you doing here? Are you really worshiping God? Are you really worshiping God? I want to back you in that corner. I don't want to let you out. I want to get you on the ropes, and I want to give you some some punches in the gut and, and a few uppercuts maybe. I really want you to get it, you know, about worship, and that's what we're here to do. So let's talk about worship a little bit, and let's talk about what it is. And as we get, as we're preparing and we're laying, laying forth uh, the rest of the four weeks. Now, um, what is worship? Let me give you a definition. Let me give you a definition. And we've done this before. And of course, we've always said that worship is showing God his worth, right? Well, let me give you another definition. Let me give you uh, an easy one. It's a real simple one. What is worship? It's honor paid, honor paid to a superior being. Now, I know that that offends some of you that we got that secular part in there that we're saying that it is honor paid to a superior being, but it's a very simple word to define. It means, listen to this, the very word worship in itself is not holy. There's going to be worship in different areas of our lives And so when we give worship to God, that's what makes it holy. Everybody got that? But but honor, it's honor paid to a superior being. You know, um, my wife worships me because I'm a superior being. (laughs) If y'all believe that, I'll sell you some some land, oceanfront property in Arizona, okay? But uh, it's a very simple word to define, but the word worship means to give homage. It means to honor. It means to reverence. It means to respect. It means adoration, praise, glory to a superior being. Frankly, the word in the scripture is used indiscriminately in all areas. It's used to people who who gave that kind of homage to idols. It's used for people who gave that kind of homage to things as well as to the one true God. So the word in itself is not a holy word as such. It only describes honor giving to a superior being. Now, the common New Testament word, and there are several um, that, we, that we've implied in them this, with this idea of worship, but the most common one means to kiss toward. Now, follow me close. We're going to make some application here. Worship means, and and remember, that's what we're all supposed to be doing. It means to kiss towards. And it came from from the ancient custom of kissing the hand of a superior, right? Kissing the hand of a superior or a person to bow down to the ground, bow his head and kiss the hand. It is also used to convey the idea of bowing down or prostrating oneself. And it is the idea that you prostrate yourself before a superior being with a sense of respect and awe and reverence while giving homage. That's what worship is. Now, in a Christian context, cornerstone, we apply that to God. To the one true living God, and there's no other God. We bow before God. Our purpose when we worship is to come here is to prostrate ourselves before God. We kiss the hand, as it were, as the psalmist says, we kiss the son. We bow in respect and honor before God, paying him the glory due because he is our superior God. Amen? 
So essentially then, worship, listen close. So essentially, is this what you're doing? Worship is giving. Worship is not getting. Worship is not taking. Worship is giving. Giving honor and respect to God, and that is why we gather here. Listen, that is why what we do here was why we do here is because we want to honor and give homage to the one true God. We don't gather here to give respect to the preacher or even the people who participate in the music. While it's good to respect each other, that's fine. We're not here to worship them or to me. We're here to worship God. We're here to give something, to adore him, to bow before him, to make ourselves open to him and to give ourselves to him. That's true worship. Let me ask you, when you come here, is that what you're doing? Now, let me, let me draw you in a little bit. And we just kind of talked about worship. But, you know, we certainly can worship God wherever we're at. Everybody say amen. We, we, we can. But there's something special about Sundays. There's something be- special about when God's people gather together. And we call that our worship service. It's not a meeting time. It's not a service. It's worship time. And that's what we're to be doing when we come here. Is that what we're prepared to do on Sundays? To worship God? You know, to, 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 to give him ourselves, to give him the adoration, to give him the praise, to give him the glory, to open ourselves up to him and give him everything of who we are and what we are to him. Because that's what worship is about. And that's what Sunday mornings is about. That's when we gather together, that's what worship is. And I, I feel and I think that a lot of what we do that we call worship isn't worship at all because we're wanting to take something or to endure something rather than to give something, right? Open your Bibles to Exodus chapter 30. I told you 34, but it's actually 30. Exodus chapter 30. And let me illustrate that for you. This is beautiful. This is just such a beautiful text. But Exodus chapter 30 provides a very graphic and symbolic illustration of worship. In Exodus chapter 30, we are hearing the instructions that are given by God for the worship of the tabernacle. Now, God gave these instructions for the tabernacle. The tabernacle was the place in which Israel was to come to worship God. Just as afterwards there was the synagogue, again, that was a place for the people to come and worship God. There has always been a place for people to go and worship God. And it starts right here in the tabernacle. In hermeneutics, we always talk about first mention. And so when we look here in Exodus chapter 30, God gives these instructions about his tabernacle, the place in which his people were to come to worship him. So I think it does a lot for us to understand of what God expected of them, of what worship was and what worship should be to us. Amen, everybody? Now, I want you to notice just a couple of verses here, and starting in verse 34. And there is a great symbolic value of, of value here of worship. Look at verse 34. And the Lord said to Moses, take unto thee sweet spices. And then he names off these spices that they're together. 
Now, now these spices were, were very readily available in that area. It really wasn't any kind of spice that they had to go out and import. This is important. They were pretty much common spices. And then he says, these sweet spice with pure frankincense, and of each there should be a like weight. In other words, four components of equal part. And look at it. And he says, and make a perfume, a perfume after the art of the perfumer. So he's saying, use all the skills that it takes to take those spices and to make them a perfume. Thus the word perfumer. And he says, tempered together, look at it, pure and holy. Holy being unique, being separate, untouched by any other element. Remember, this is symbolic of our worship to God. And look what it says next. And thou shalt beat this very small and put it before the testimony in the tabernacle of the congregation where I will meet with you. Now God says, Get this perfume, put it all together, and put it in the tabernacle where I'm going to meet with you at. He says, it shall be unto you most holy. Now, here is a concoction. Here is a perfume. Here is a sweet-smelling incense, and it is to be holy. You got it so far? That is, it is to be only used for the purpose in the tabernacle. Look at verse 37 real quick. He says, And as for the perfume which thou shalt make, you shall not make to yourselves according to the, comp to the composition, composition thereof, and it shall be unto thee holy for the Lord. In other words, you can't make any for your own use. You can't have any for your personal perfume stash of this particular recipe. And look at verse 38. It says, If you do make it for yourself to smell it for be on yourself, you will be cut off from God's people. So do you see the uniqueness? Do you see the holiness there, the separation of it? And so you say, well, well, what in the world is the point here? The point is this. Here was a fragrance designed to be only for God, and when this incense rose to God's nostrils, listen, it was unique to him. You say, well, what is that the picture of? It's a picture, listen, it's a picture of worship. That unique gift, that fragrant that rises out of the heart and given to the living and glorious God, and it is something that is to be offered to no other person. It is to be used for no other purpose. It is to be unique, separated, sanctified, a holy act that rises out of the heart of the person to the very nostrils of God. And that is the symbolicness of worship. When you come, he says, when you come to meet me there, let there rise from you something that is holy and only mine. You see, that's what worship is, is that when we concoct ourselves, that when we present ourselves to God as a living sacrifice, and it's, we separate ourselves, we make ourselves holy to God, and we give it to him, that's what worship is. I mean, back here in the tabernacle, God said, you know, here's going to make this perfume, and, and, and it's going to be in the tabernacle, and only can be used for that place and for that purpose. And when that incense is there and you're there, he says, I'm there with you. Isn't that fantastic? Listen, that's our worship. It's to be unique to him. 
It's not for anyone else. It's only for God. And so when we come here, worship is, is that we uniquely present ourselves to God. And it's all about him and not about us. It's not about what we take, but it's about what we give. Is that what we have in mind when we come to God's house, that we present ourselves to God and that we uniquely purpose ourselves, that we prepare ourselves to be that vessel that we offer to sacrifice because that's what worship is. If you're not doing that, then you're not worshiping God. You see? Now, is that what you're doing this morning? Have you made your concoction? Have you presented yourself uniquely to God? Is that what you're is that what you prepare for all week? Is that what you prepare prepare for in your in your car coming here this morning to worship God? Now believe me, there are many things that go on that people think are worship, but they're not. You know, there's a certain kind of music or style that makes us feel like we're worshiping. It gives us a feeling of peace and maybe a few goosebumps. But I want you to notice this on the screen. Worship doesn't happen because we like it. Worship happens when God likes it. Can I have an amen? When it's unique, when it's unto him, when it's his recipe and not your recipe. You see? I read this, and I have this on the screen for you. I read this in a commentary uh, Friday, and it says this. It says, worship is that which is distinctly and only for God, in which while capturing the most profound of our emotions, does so by the most profound divine truth. You know, we're to worship God as a sweet-smelling offering, and that was to be the expression and symbol in the worshiping place, the tabernacle. And listen to me, nothing has changed for us today. It's not about what we get. You know, here's the thing, listen to me. And I want to persuade you, I want to get you in a corner. You know, it's not about what we can get, but it's what we give. But I'll tell you this, if you come to the house of God and you prepare yourself and you prepare the recipe that God has told us how to prepare ourselves, and if we offer that worship up to God and he meets us, <laughs> and you give him that worship, you're going to get something all right. You're going to get a blessing. But that the purpose is not for us to come to church saying that I'm coming here to get this. We come to church and we come to worship service because we want to give God something. We want to give him ourselves we want to prepare ourselves. We want to be unique and separated and holy. We want it to be a, a great smell just like that perfume into the nostrils of God. It takes work. It takes time. It takes time to prepare. I mean, you think about this concoction that God had them made. They had to go get these four different types of, types of um, spices, and they had to chop them all together, pound them all together, and do all the things that a perfume maker does all the while not letting anything else get into it, and so that this would this be this pure, holy perfume, this thing that God says, if you have this in the tabernacle, he says, I will be there with you. Hey, when God meets us, he wants us to prepare ourselves and to present ourselves to him, just like this perfume, this incense. We got it? That's worship. That's what worship is. 
Now, in the New Testament, I don't think I have it on the, on the screen for you, but you can turn there if you'd like. It's uh, the Gospel of John. The Gospel of John, chapter 12, verse 1. And I want to show you a similar thought, and we're talking about worship. And as the incense fragrance rose to the nostrils of God, <clears throat> it signified worship. And here we have another fragrant gift offered in worship, and this time to the living God in human form, to our Lord Jesus Christ. Verse 1 of John chapter 12, it says that Jesus, six days before the Passover, he came to Bethany where Lazarus was. Remember, he had been dead. Um, and whom he raised from the dead. And it says, And there they made him supper, and Martha served, but Lazarus was one of them that sat at the table with him. Then took Mary a pound of ointment, these spices, very costly, um, about a year's wages. So she worked for a complete year. This, this, this ointment and this bottle that she had, it cost her a whole year's wage. Usually what they would do with this ointment was is that they would, they would buy this expensive stuff, and when someone would die, they would put this perfume on their family members who were deceased. So this is a very expensive ointment uh, perfume that she had. And it says, and she took it and anointed the feet of Jesus and wiped her feet with her hair. We're talking about worship. And the house was filled with the odor of the ointment. Now, 1 Corinthians chapter 11 says this, that the glory of a woman is her hair. You like that, ladies? That's your glory. And so she uses her glory for the lowliest task imaginable. Now, anybody in that part of the world who washed people's feet would have been thought of as just a menial slave. I mean, you think about it, they didn't have cowboy boots back then. You know, they didn't have closed-in shoes. They were open shoes, and so people's feet, of course, were very dirty. But she uses that which is her glory to wash the dusty feet, the dirty feet of Jesus Christ. And doesn't just use water, but she pours this costly fragrance. Now that's the essence of worship. And you remember that Mary and Martha were very different. Now listen close. Martha was always serving, and Mary was, always, Mary was sitting at the feet of Jesus, and Jesus said, Mary has chosen the what? The better part. We know what the Bible says, and Judas says, wait a minute, that's, that's 300 denaro. We could use that money, you know, in the ministry. But Jesus said, let her alone. It is better to worship than to give welfare. I mean, that's the true essence of worship, is to, is to give, to give God something. And, and for us, it's to give ourselves to God. You know, I think that we are the generations of Marthas, aren't we? You know, I mean, church can get, can get fine-tuned. We can get pretty busy but not be worshiping. You got it? We can be coming to church, and we can be doing ministry, and we can be tithing, and we can be doing this, and we can be doing that. We can get pretty fine-tuned in ourselves, but we can just have the mentality of Martha and not that of Mary. Listen, God, God wants our ministry. God wants our service, and that's all part of it. But listen to me. God wants our worship. He wants us to be a sweet fragrance unto him. 
is that what you're doing when you come here? Is, is that what you're doing in your personal time? But when you come here on the mornings, are you just looking for the music to make you to have worship? Are you looking just for the preaching of your pastor to give you, said that I've had worship? Or do you actually think about it and think about what worship is and think about what God wants in worship? And do you prepare yourself to be this perfume, this ointment that we give ourselves to God as this sweet-smelling fragrance unto God so he can breathe us into his nostrils? Do you, do you see what I'm saying? We can get so fine-tuned and we can get so busy in Christianity and serving the Lord can just become so mechanical that worshiping never takes place. And the truth is, is that sometimes it even feels like we're worshiping, but that's not what true worship is. So this whole message today into preparing for the next four messages is just to get you to understand what worship is. Worship is preparing ourselves into a holy God that we separate ourselves. Listen to me close. That we separate ourselves, that we, that we, that we, we, we brought ourselves before God and asked for forgiveness of our sins. So just like those perfumes that there's nothing that's not supposed to be in us and we've purged ourselves and we've opened ourselves up to God, that's worship. That's worship. It, certainly service can be an act of worship, but true worship, the worship that God wants from every single one of us is the one that we just give ourselves to him. And we say, God, here we are. That's worship. That's worship. So it's, it's easy to say, you know, I come here the last three weeks in a row and, you know, I've got enough. Is that why you come here to get? Then you haven't worshipped. Are you here to get from Ron Fox? If you have, then you failed. This is the time to worship in the assembly. There must be worship. Now, Write this down somewhere. Write this down. There must be worship. And know this, God seeks acceptable, true, spiritual worship. Did you get that sentence? God seeks acceptable, true, spiritual worship. Every one of those words is critical, and you're going to understand, and I hope by the end of this series, exactly what that means, but God seeks acceptable, true, spiritual worship. I mean, go back to Exodus chapter 30. God gave his instructions, and he gave that recipe, and he made them understand what worship looked like, and so there is, there is worship that is acceptable to God, but there, so that means that there is worship that is not acceptable to God. But God seeks acceptable, true, spiritual worship. Now, you should have your Bibles open to John chapter 4, and here in this text, and we'll look at verse 23. Verse 23, 
it says the hour cometh and now is when the true worshipers underline that true worshipers true worshipers that's the theme of this text is true worshipers shall worship the father in spirit and in truth for the father seeketh such to worship him do you see that for the father seeketh such what is he seeking he is seeking true worshipers acceptable true worship is what god is seeking so if we come into the presence of god or we think we're coming into the presence of god and we think that we're going to worship god on how we want to worship god god's not going to accept your worship i want god to accept the worship at cornerstone how about you i don't want you getting in the way of me worshiping god if we're doing this as an assembly do we see it that god is seeking an acceptable true worship not just anything that we can any concoction we can throw together he's got a special thing for us to put together that is acceptable spiritual worship to him now if we're going to give him that we have to know what it is and we ask ourselves the question what is acceptable what is the acceptable true spiritual worship and I want you to ask yourself that question and, and ask yourself, please, do I worship God? Do I worship God? Is, is that a priority for me to worship God in a true worship way? Is, is, is that, do I ask myself, I want you to ask yourself that question. Not to hear a sermon, <laughs> not to hear a sermon, or not to listen to the band. Listen, you can buy a tape and stay at home. But that's not worshiping God. And so, and, and, and I so, and, and for us to be consumed with this hungering desire to worship God, and, and I want you to get to that place to where you hurry yourself to get to that place that you truly worship God. You know, the truth is, is I know you come, and, and I know all of our bodies are here, and I see you, and, and you're a good-looking group of people. Some of you are falling asleep on me, but, um, but look, uh, you're a great group of people. Your bodies are here, but I wonder if your souls are here to worship God. Huh? Just because our bodies here don't mean we're worshiping God. Okay? Now, I want to give you one major point. And this is it, and this will be this will be it for this morning. I want to give you one major point, and I'm going to give you several major points through this whole series. But the first one is this: the importance of worship. The importance of worship. Now, worship is important for four reasons, but I'm only going to give one this morning, and we'll look at the other three next week. Number one, um, the importance of worship. Number one. Worship is important because, number one, Scripture calls for it. Scripture demands it. Are what we doing, is what we doing, that don't, that's not good English either. <laughs> what we are doing, is it worship? And why is worship important? Number one is worship is important because Scripture demands it. Scripture calls for it. We are told to worship God. 
it, it is what we're supposed to do. Go with me to Romans to Romans chapter 12. I think I told you Hebrews earlier, but I've been making that mistake all, all morning. But, uh, but Romans chapter 12, it's a priority. Um, why is worship important? Number one is because Scripture calls for it. And when God called out his people, he established in the midst of their life a worshiping place so they might focus on that. Now, um, you got your hand on Romans chapter 12, but I want you to look at, um, I want you to just consider this for a minute, uh, Exodus chapter 25. And God gave Israel um, all those instructions to build the tabernacle. Have you ever studied the instructions of the tabernacle, anybody? I have, and it is, it is a lot. As a matter of fact, um, it's just it's just incredible. It takes over seven chapters in Exodus for God to cover all the instructions for the tabernacle, for the place where God would meet his people. Seven chapters, 243 verses given to the instruction to the people of where to worship, and when you come to this place to worship God, how to worship. 243 verses, all these standards and all these measurements and all these furnishings and that was 243 verses. It's kind of interesting when you think that God only gives the whole creation just 31 verses, but he gives 243 verses to this of the tabernacle where God meets his people. I think it's pretty important to God. What do you think? So God is really concerned with our worship. Now, it says in Exodus chapter 25, it says, and there I will meet with you, and I will commune with you from above the mercy seat, from between the two cherubim, which are upon the ark of the testimony of all these things, which I will give thee in the commandment to the children of Israel. God gave them a worshiping place. Now, did you know that in the tabernacle, there were no seats? There was no seats. No cushion pews. No seats for anyone to sit down. Listen to me. They didn't go there for anything other than to worship God. You didn't go there for anything other than to worship God. You had a meeting, you had it somewhere else. This was a worshiping place, and it was more important to have a worshiping place as a focus than a meeting place. And in the middle of that worshiping place was God, revealed in his presence in the Shekinah glory on the mercy seat between the wings of the cherubim, and God says, I will meet you there. Listen, God for with worship was a priority, and God met his people there in the tabernacle. Today, you know, we don't have that Bema seat. We don't have that Ark of the Covenant. We don't have the Shekinah glory per se as they had where, 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 where God was. But let me tell you, today, we still come, and we come as a community together to worship God. We come in the place, and his presence is just as well with us. It's called the Holy Spirit, and the Holy Spirit dwells within us. Worshiping God, it's important because Scripture commands it. And just as in this tabernacle, we meet with God. Now, Romans chapter 12, and, and we'll close it with this. And let's see what Scripture in the New Testament relates to worship as a priority. Romans chapter 12, verse 1 and 2. Very, very familiar verses of Scripture. Think about this just for a minute. 
Romans is like our is like our theology book, if you didn't know. If you want to know anything about doctrine or about theology, just go to the book of Romans. So for 11 chapters, Paul, inspired by the Holy Spirit, God breathed in his mouth these words to write down all of this theology, all of this doctrine, everything about Jesus Christ, things about our walk pertaining to Jesus Christ, all about what we're to believe as Christians. And then after he unloads all of this doctrine, he comes to chapter 12, and he comes to verse 1, and here's what he says. He says, I beseech you, therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God. He says, based on the mercies of God, he says, I beg you, and here's what I want you to do. In other words, based on all of the truth of the first 11 chapters, what is God going to ask? Look at it. He says that you present your bodies a living sacrifice holy, acceptable unto God. The King James says, this is your reasonable service. Those two Greek words, logikin, latron, that actually means spiritual worship. You can write that down right in your margin. He says, God says, he says, present your bodies a living sacrifice, holy, acceptable unto God, which is your spiritual worship. So what is worship? What does God want us to do as believers when we come together in this place? He doesn't want us to have a meeting. He doesn't want us to do those things. He wants us to come and present our bodies a living sacrifice. How holy, how acceptable unto God. This is our spiritual worship. That's spiritual worship. Hey, listen very carefully. Eleven chapters of doctrine. Paul has been defining the Christian in all of, the, all of its benefits. And now he says in response, what does God want? What is it that God wants from you? He wants spiritual worship. That's what's acceptable to him, that we present ourselves a living sacrifice. You see it? That word acceptable is a very important word. And the word appears again at the end of verse 2, and it says the acceptable, perfect will of God. Now, what does God want out of a believer? He wants acceptable spiritual worship. And it begins with the presentation of the body as a living sacrifice. or to prepare ourselves to be a sweet fragrance unto him. Hey, that's what worship is. Let me ask you this morning. Is that what you prepared to do this morning? To worship God? To to give him yourself? Because that's what worship is. What was your reason for coming to church this morning? There's only one reason that we should come to church, and that's to worship him. Amen? There's going to be a lot of things going on. We're going to have our ministries. We're going to be, be, be ministering to people. But our main focus when we come to this assembly, just like they did to the tabernacle, was to worship God in that, in that acceptable spiritual worship is making ourselves a living sacrifice unto him. That's what worship is. Anything else doesn't count. Anything else is unacceptable. But listen, God wants us to worship him, and the only worship he accepts is that of which we give ourselves as a living sacrifice. Amen.
You know, there's a lot of things that are byproducts of worship. There's a lot of things that in past we've, we've thought we've had to have to worship, but none of those things are true. The only thing we have that God wants, listen, it's us. It's us that we present our bodies, that we present our lives, we present ourselves a living sacrifice unto God. That's true worship. And when you give true worship, you're going to get something. God's going to bless you. It's going to happen. Amen? Let's bow together and pray. Father, we do love you this morning, and we do thank you for the word of God that we have. And Lord, I pray that um, today, right now, that we give ourselves as a living sacrifice unto you, that we give you the true spiritual worship that you desire. That, Lord, that um, we won't make some concoctions with foreign things involved in it. We don't put any strings attached. We don't apply anything else for our worship to you other than ourselves as a living sacrifice. Lord, I, I pray this morning that um, from this day forward and forevermore that we'll come to this assembly that you have built for us and prepared for us, Lord, that we come here together as a congregation um, um, to not get, but to give, and that's to give ourselves to you, um, a sacrifice that's holy and acceptable unto you. Lord, I pray this morning, if there's some that's never accepted Jesus Christ as their personal Savior, that uh, this morning, Lord, that you'll call them into salvation and that you'll give them the courage to step out and to um, repent and to call upon you as the Lord, Savior, and Master. And Lord, um, I pray for all of us that um, perhaps we get caught up in, in giving worth and homage to material things and to other people, but not giving to you. I pray this morning, Lord, that um, we'll focus on giving ourselves to you and not anything else. We love you and we give you praise.